0: the cold out in the dark something's lurking at the edge of the park people be warned people beware there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair hear him cry hear him howl looking for someone to disembowel claws like a hook eyes like coal feet so big they're gonna crush your soul they call him sasquatch
3: This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. I'm Sarah. Here at Yowie Central, we explore the latest on Yowie research in Australia. We hear Yowie witness testimonies and we talk to the seriously dedicated researchers out there. And because I've always been fascinated by all sorts of mysterious phenomena, we slip down into rabbit holes galore. Paranormal encounters, UFOs and alien abductions, cryptid creatures, orbs, psychics and anything else kooky and spooky. Just a quick correction from last week before we get into it this week. Gary Opet and I were talking about the remarkable Bellbird Grove Sighting in Queensland where the witness first saw what we think was a juvenile yaoi playing in a creek bed. Now, <laughs> I said the juvenile yaoi didn't make vocalisations when it pursed its lips and turned towards the Big Daddy, but I was actually wrong, and I had forgotten that part of the report. So here's Gary talking about an interview that I did originally, but forgetting that it was one of mine, and then me correcting Gary saying, no, no, it pursed its lips but didn't make any noise. And then I totally stuffed it up because it did actually make noise. I I checked and and I actually checked with Dean Harrison (laughs) later and he said, no, 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 it did make kissy noises. So I apologise. I just want to correct the record so that you have an accurate understanding of what happened in that report. The young juvenile, what we think was a young juvenile, turned its head towards the bank towards what we think was the parent and pursed at its lips but did actually make kissing noises so there were vocalisations. <laughs> ah, Silly. Anyway in my defence it was one of my first interviews so it was a long time ago and I have interviewed a couple of hundred people since then so occasionally I do get my wires crossed and forget details from some reports. Anyway, that's corrected now. This week, we welcome Simon to the show with his very strange Blue Mountains experiences from 2017 and 2018. The Blue Mountains are notorious for Yowie reports and it is one of the hottest spots for Yowie sightings in the country, probably after the Gold Coast hinterland. One of Simon's experiences is potentially Yowie related, but the other two involve something stranger. Yes, even stranger than Yowies. And I'm talking shape-shifting stranger, but I won't spoil it now. I'll let Simon tell the story. Here he is. <laughs>
4: I've had events occur um, since childhood, but um, not, not all of them are Yowie related, but I've, I've had some pretty heavy things go on since childhood. Um, and I think uh, the first thing I, I would say off the bat is um, having listened to various people tell, um, and I, I'm not even, I hesitate to even call them stories because stories implies that um, these, these are uh, fictional events. Uh, I would say tell um, speak, speak their truth, yeah. and um, speak, speak truth to to the things that have happened to them. Now, I've I've noticed over the years that um, there's a correlation between certain people have multiple events occur um, to them, and that's that's like the odds of that are actually shocking um, if you really thought about it. And I'm not just talking about one specific type of event, but all kinds of events, paranormal events, or physical events, or Whatever, um, but there are people who te- who seem to see, seem to sort of attract, um, or are attracted to um, entities or or, or beings, um, and and it tends to resonate in some way in their life, and you you wind up over a series of years having multiple things happening, and um, and I'm just one of those people. I hesitate also to say that um, certain people have certain sensitivities and and uh, in the past I've heard people refer to them as gifts. I don't think it's a gift. I think, I mean, I I think it's innate. I think just something that you're born with, or it's something that's passed on to you genetically through family lines. I know that there were people in my family that had um, certain certain sensitivities. Uh, My great great grandmother did, um, which I won't go into, but, but uh, I've just always had uh, an ability to notice things and to be aware of certain things. And I'm really hyper aware of stuff and also very aware of uh, vibes <laughs> to, to, to put it into a, a, a castle, Dennis DiNudo De solicitor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the vibe uh, <laughs> kind of context. Um, it's the vibe. You know, sometimes you, you know, a vibe and, um, and a vibe is, is a good vibe or a vibe is a, is a bad vibe. Yeah. So I lived, in the, I, I lived in the Blue Mountains for 20 years and in various places um, near, near Katoomba and a place called Medlow Bath. I lived in Lura. And then later on for about a 10 year period, I lived um, over the back of the mountains um, down um, in the Hartley-Lithgow um, area where I still have a house today the first, uh, I have to tell us, uh, some of this story. Um, again, I say story, um, uh, uh, some of these events, um, out of sequence because the, the significance of how they affected me plays into how the, how they happened and, and, but my realization of them. Now I'm, I'm a, a landscape photographer I have been for 30 odd years um, and I really love getting out into the bush and taking photos and I've heard, it's funny I've heard other people speak of their events where photography and bushwalking has gone hand in hand and that's probably the case with me as well I just love getting out into the bush and I've always gotten out on my own a lot and uh, taken the camera with me And uh, I haven't actually, funnily enough, I haven't done that in a long time, probably since the last event happened. I haven't done that. And that's not actually through any fear um, of being out there or anything like that. It's just life got busy in other ways and I just haven't been able to do it. And I wanted to also touch on at some point the Gary Tweddle. Are you familiar with Gary Tweddle and his death, Sarah? Uh,
3: I wasn't, but I did briefly look it up because you mentioned it. So I just had a quick squiz at... Uh, okay. Because it was um, so, even just looking at the headline here, oh, this was a drug dealer who tried to sell cocaine to Sydney man Gary Tweddle on the night he fell off a cliff and died in the Blue Mountains. So, he, so he's yeah. fallen off a cliff and died, but there's... Yeah,
4: that, that was the story. And, and if, you, but if you read further into it, and I, and I lived two streets away from the Fairmont Resort, uh, which is just around the corner, which is where Gary Tweddle was staying. With his buddies that night, where they were having a party and drinking and whatnot. Anyway, I will come back to that because there's a lot more to that story. Now, David Palides, who is the missing four one one gentleman, yep. he came, he actually came to Australia, came to, and came mm-hmm. to the Blue Mountains, and yeah, there I were saw several. Yeah. yeah, well, two out of the three, <laughs> funnily enough, two out of the three stories that he um, that he attended about the Australian uh, possible Australian missing 411s, one of them was Gary Tweddle, and he went to Lura, and he ah, was that's basically right. he was he was basically in my backyard. Yes. Um, and the other one occurred with an elderly lady who went missing in uh, Medlow Bath, and I also lived in Medlow Bath for five years and knew the area intimately. So I will come. I will come back to that, and when I get to when I when I finish telling you these the the other two events, so this was. Um, and the period the periods that i was living in the blue mountains was basically from t- uh, yeah, from 2001 um right through to about 2009 um uh sorry tw- uh, 2018 yeah nearly the full 20 year period now the the first the first event uh that i'll that i'll touch on was um i i used to go uh, not not the not your usual landscape photography but um but I used to go taking star photography at night, so I would actually go out at night and, um, with my camera, and I would usually go fairly late. But I was usually waiting. I would have an idea of where the Milky Way was going to be in the sky at the time because you had to wait for it to be pitched at certain angles where it was going to give the best visibility, I would work out what time the Milky Way was going to show up in the sky, the particular angle that was going to be because I would try and marry often marry the, the, the Milky Way in the sky to some landscape feature on the ground. And I would usually want to pair them so that they were they were sort of in line um, with each other and to, to give the best effect. So one of the places I used to go go to was um, a lookout just just outside Lithgow. Um, it was literally a, a five minute drive from my from my back door. The most recent this, this event probably this first event probably happened around 2017. Um, and I it was a winter's winter's night. And I got up, my wife was sleeping, um, and I was I was up and about, and it was about 2 a.m. in the morning. Um, now 2 a.m. in winter in Lithgow is we were down to probably about minus three that night, so it was pretty chilly. So I, I whacked up I whacked on a bunch of warm clothing, jackets. I had a beanie, I had my, my I had my hood pulled on over my head. So basically, you're pretty muffled, and your vision is quite sort of narrowed once you've got a hood and a beanie on. I grabbed all my photographic gear, um, tripod, camera, the whole thing, and I drove up to this, to this lookout. Now, it's quite a well-known lookout outside Lithgow. I, I'm not sure if I wanted to reveal which specific lookout it was, but I'll, I'll, I'll just say that it's the highest point in the Blue Mountains and it's a fairly well-known lookout. Um, for people who live in the area that would know it, um, there's a little sign that, that warns you before you drive up the mountain um, that you enter at your own risk because it was, uh, it was mined out through, it was mined out by miners. Basically it was uh, so it's basically a rat's nest of mines underground uh-huh. throughout the place. So there's the possible always the possibility of, of, collapses up there, ground shifting and collapses and all that sort of stuff. Um, so they just, they, I think they've, they've just had a sign up for years to warn people. If anything happens, it's on you. So I take the car up there, and once you get off the, the main road onto the dirt road to go into the bush of the mountain to drive up uh, to the lookout, um, it's it's about another uh, five seven minutes depending on how far you go. It's about seven minutes on a dirt track, and you're you're basically quite high up, so you're you're on a sort of a you know, you're on sort of a dirt trail that's pretty windy, pretty snaky, and then you go up the top and um, you're sort of on a plateau till you get to this specific lookout it's a pretty expansive lookout it gives you um, about a, about 180 degrees and continues quite an expansive view and it the way it drops away is very much like um you know, the grand canyon down into farmland below which is all hartley and Hartley vale down below and uh, at nighttime it's a pretty spectacular view in daytime it's spectacular enough it's it's incredible but at night, if you've, if you've got starlight and moonlight, that's beautiful again. But this was, I, I usually when you're doing star photography, um, you go on the darkest night of, of, of the moon phase. So you go basically when there's absolutely no moon or as little moon as possible, and, and it's literally pitch black. It's so it's usually you want it so dark that when you put your hand in front of your face, you can't even see it, and all you can see is stars. Now, out that way, out, out Lithgow way, there's no ambient light from cities or anything to sort of get, you know, to cast light into the sky. So it is really black out there in the country. Um, Anyone who's done any time in real Australian bush or real country or away from cities knows the difference between the night light um, and starlight and darkness compared to what it is. If you walked out into your backyard in, in suburbia, Um, it's very, very different. So, I would, I would go up there and set up my camera and the start, and there was, the Milky, uh, there was the Milky Way looking incredible. And this night, this particular time of the year which was just getting into winter out of autumn, what would happen in the valley or in the Vale there is that you'd get huge banks of mist um, forming over all the farms and the fields down below um, and there were quite a few little dams dotted down Um, below but it was basically like you know it was like you were a a Norse god You, you would stand on this platform and you're actually looking down into farmland but there's because of all the rafts of mist it would cover all the fields and it was like you were above the clouds so you were up up on the top of this mountain looking down on top of clouds but it was actually all mist fields and then as you looked up you'd just see nothing but starlight just just absolutely littered starlight it was the most incredible thing so that was a kind of kind of setting uh, I parked the car up at the up at the top of the uh, of the lookout which is kind of a little a little circle or a little cul-de-sac uh, cul-de-sac and I'd get out and I go all my go on my gear walk down to a there's a steel platform that basically just walks you straight out to the edge and then it's literally a sheer fall down um, into these um, these uh, rocky outcrops into nothing. So I was literally standing on a steel platform um, and set my camera up and I've got the camera aimed at the sky and there's the Milky Way and it's all looking good and I've got the timer out just then and it was actually clear the sky above funnily enough was absolutely clear so it's just stars but it was below me was all the 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 fields of mist there it was really incredible and I just coughed I just sort of um I sort of went like that for a second and coughed and with a delay of probably about I would say about 10 seconds 15 seconds something to my right went (laughs) like that and I went what the hell is that and it was it was literally something it was like an echo but when you're up there I'll note there's I mean you stand you're literally standing in bush I mean you're in bush right all there is is just a, a steel platform there but there's no one around it's absolutely remote and you you're five to seven minutes Away from any kind of civilization by car, um, up, a de- up a up up a mountain a snaking mountain track, so you're you're pretty isolated. But up there there's no there's there's absolutely zero sounds of animals up there, like nothing. like you know, the same thing as people have said you know before when when they know that there's a predator around or or if um, or, or, the, or the the bush goes silent. same thing, except up there, it's always silent. that's that's the thing whenever i would go up there even in the daytime there's nothing there's there's you may on the rare occasion in the daytime hear the odd bird or you might hear something like that but a lot of the time it's like it's absolutely you don't hear a thing except the wind it's a pretty strange spot so this was to be expected but i i now now i'm i'm literally completely isolated it's it's three in the morning, freezing. There's no other car parked up at the, uh, at the lookout um, turn off. It's just me. And I've coughed and something has gone and repeated what I, what I did back to me. And the strangest sensation is when you can sense, I'm a pretty good judge of distance. You can sense when you hear something, you can sense how far it is away from you. You can get a basic idea of how far away it is from you. And I felt like if I could reach my hand out to my right into the inky black, that if I reached just a little bit further, so maybe I would say about 10 feet, um, whatever it was that was making that noise was just off to my right and was sort of just there. Looking at me. And it was, it it literally mimicked my cough back at me. Now, that was really, I was thinking the other night that what's more creepy than having something visual, something that you can see standing there looking at you? Well, what's equally creepy is knowing something's there watching you, but it's in pitch, pitch black and you can't see it. And knowing something's there, but, but but not being able to identify it. I once I heard that I I thought okay, because I knew no one was there, and I knew it wasn't a person, and I knew it wasn't an animal, because it was literally. And and there's no echo up there, by the way. You gotta understand this. This isn't a place where you know you're up. You're basically up the the highest point on the on in the Blue Mountains at this lookout. But it's not a place where if you yell you get an echo. It's not one of those places. And I wasn't even yelling. I just went, and I was in an open space. There was nowhere for me to, there was nothing for me to, for my voice to rebound against. It was like the thin air. It's like, that's it. So something just next to me um, went back at me and it mimicked exactly what I did. Now, that that wasn't that significant at that time, okay? But I thought, yeah, that's not right. And I'm, I'm also, keep in mind, Sarah, I'm in absolute pitch black darkness. So that if I, as I said, if I put my hand in front of my face, I can't see it. All I had was a little pen light that I would use to be able to check my watch when I was um, doing long exposures to take photos. And I just had that. But I thought, yeah, that's, that's not good. That's not right. I don't like that. Hmm. So um, I just quietly packed up my gear. I just folded up my tripod and it's quite a big, heavy tripod. And I just packed up all my gear, got my camera into my bag and slung it across my side. And I thought, yeah, I'm just going to make tracks back for the car. It just, I just knew that that wasn't right. And as I was walking back to the car, I was fully conscious that um, if there's something there and I knew it wasn't going to be a person, um, Another person, I th- I was ready to fight because <laughs> there are there are there are people there are people who are um, fight or flight. I hear this all the time, and uh and I'm not I'm not sort of you know doing the tough guy thing or anything like that. But I think we all have just particular natures, and my thing would be, I mean, I'd be you know if something jumped out in front of me, I'd I'd not be happy. I'd <laughs> I'd be I'd be freaking out. I'd be freaking out. But but my thing would be I'd be freaking out, but whatever it is would be copying um you know my tripod in its face yeah. at the same time so i'm a bit i'm a bit that way i'll i'll be sort of swinging on my way back to the car i won't be sort of you know um so i was ready i was fully prepared to like have a go or whatever was gonna it's like if you're gonna come at me i'm gonna come at you so um uh so i was yeah because you know you know what the hell was going on so i i just thought yeah i'm ready so i was kind of ready i was walking back to the car and i was just waiting for something or to even hear something i was just trying to listen out for anything and and i i just made made my way kind of quietly back to the car and i turned around as i got into the the dirt circle area of the car park um i turned around behind me because basically the the bush the bush sort of uh you you sort of you, you're enveloped by the bush and then you sort of burst out into a slight clearing and as i burst out into the slight clearing you have this awareness that something's you know isn't now still behind you um and might be approaching you out of any angle you know because you're now in a clearing and you know it's got cover i i turned around and i didn't i didn't see anything got in the car and uh you know, I had that moment where yeah, you want you want to find the key, <laughs> you want the key to go straight <laughs> into the ignition, so and that come on, turn key, you know, um, and and it was all good. Um, but I locked the doors when I got in the car. I jumped in and went clink and hit hit the automatic lock and went yep, okay, drove home.
3: Did it sound exactly like you, or was there something it, slightly it, off about it?
4: Well. The only thing that made me think it wasn't me was the fact that it wasn't me. Um, it was, it was, it sounded exactly like me. It mimicked exactly what I did, the, the, the sound I made of coughing. And it's just, that's ridiculous. Like, that's just ridiculous. There's nothing, <laughs> there's no, there's no animal that will do that. There's no animal that's doing that. Okay. That And it was feet away from me in the dark doing that it, it was it was and it, well, and it just wasn't a person nobody goes up I I, I would frequent that place um, at all hours by the way I mean three at three in the morning with minus three you know it's freezing it's ice cold you're you're in the highest place you can't even there's no sounds of animals even and because I frequent the place so often I know I know the place intimately and I know what's a normal you know, what the normal ambient noises are up there, and you don't get much at all. So to have something in the pitch black right next to me go <clears throat> back at me, absolutely mimicking the cough I made was just, whoa. That's
3: <laughs> Freaky. Not, that's
4: Yeah, that's that's not good. That's really not good. And it was clearly, it's not, you know, nobody's going to be camping up there, particularly where I was. If you knew exactly where I was, it's just not possible. Even a, even a lunatic wouldn't stand up there wherever it was at that. I mean, you know, it's just not happening. And this, look, this didn't, this didn't twig with me. You know, this, this well, some, something else happened earlier. Now, this was around 2018. This was, this was 2008, winter 2018. Okay. So let's rewind Two years, 2017. Uh, a year, sorry, a year. Probably 2017. Yeah, probably 2017. So about a year earlier, this was uh, Easter, Easter weekend, 2017. I'd been getting up early mornings, and I used to, I used to go, um, I used to go road, uh, um, road cycling down in the Vale, at Hartley. And I used to come up to this, and I used to actually I, I had a GoPro on my chest, and I used to because early, very early mornings, just on dawn, uh, the break of dawn, as I said earlier, the valleys would mist, uh, would mist up, they'd fog up. So as dawn would break, the sun would hit the valley, um, which was usually sh- um, shielded by the mountains at night and be freezing cold. And then when the sun would break over the mountains, it would create you know these huge rafts of of, of mist. That would, that would come up off the valley floor. So the whole place was just like, you know, um, socked in with, with like a mist that you couldn't even see in front of you half the time. Um, and I used to ride through, I used to love the adventure of going and riding down in the valley um, through all this incredible mist and stuff. It was just a really exciting feeling um, on these old country roads. So I would get up, the first thing I'd do is I'd get up and I would go and watch the dawn break at this, at this very lookout. And I was actually, I had my, Phone, I had my phone out and I was doing a little kind of vlog. It was just for posterity. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't for a YouTube channel or anything like that. I was just talking to my camera and, I was, and, and the sun was just breaking over the hill and it was super, super bright, clear, clear sky, but down in the valley below it was just full of mist again. And, um, and I was sort of walking and turning as I spoke to camera and, uh, and, doing, and giving a full 360-degree view of the incredible view up there. But as, and as I, as I talked and turned very slowly, giving, giving the view using the front camera of my phone, at one point, you know, the, the blast of the sun would be right near your right near eye. I mean, it was really, really bright. And as I turned round to my right, I'm circling around. The sun would, was then over my shoulder behind me, so it wasn't so bright and it was okay. And I was just talking. But, you know, sometimes if, if on a really bright day, if you're using your camera, and you're looking, you're looking at the screen, if you're filming, you can't actually see very clearly what you're filming. You, it, there's a kind of a glare on the screen, so you can't even see things very well. But you know you're kind of pointing the camera in a certain direction. You, you hope that it's going to capture whatever it is that you, you're looking at or trying to catch it, capture. So um, so I did, I did a bit of filming, and, uh, and I did that, and then I turned, turned the film off, and I went for a ride. I got home. Later in the day, um, after I'd gone for a ride, it was usually a 10, 15K ride, got home and, uh, and I sort of waited a few days before I reviewed the footage, I didn't really look at it. And, uh, and then I did kind of look at the footage and there was this funny thing that I saw and I was still looking at it on my phone. So it wasn't massively significant at the time, but at one point in the film, and I've still got this film by the way, um, at one point, as I turned my shoulder, as I was turning at this, at this same, this, by the way, this is the same lookout where I was taking photos where I heard the noise that night a year later. And I'm turning and as my, as, as the sun goes back over my shoulder and now I can kind of see this, the, the screen a little better. About 30 feet in front of me at this rock, at, at this rocky outcrop at the top of this lookout, this mountain. There's a fenced, a low fenced area, and there's a rock there, and the the fe- this very little low fence, steel fence, it's it's put there as a barrier so people don't go near the edge and fall off and kill themselves, as as happens a lot in the Blue Mountains. You hear people falling off lookouts and people dying in the Blue Mountains all the time. It's a uh, tourists go up there to to sort of. Um, do silly things and die. And so, and unfortunately, the Blue Mountains, for the period that I was living up there anyway, it was very common that, uh, unfortunately and very sadly, there's a place that people would go on suicide as well. And um, SES would be pulling people out of the bush quite regularly, which is really sad. Anyway, so they'd have these barriers up so that idiots wouldn't go too close to the edge and fall off. And this where this barrier was, just behind it, this, this rock, this quite a large rock, I saw something, I kid you not, I saw something duck out from behind this rock and do a double take. It ducked out, looked, pulled its head back in and then ducked out and looked again, paused and then ducked away again. It was like a peekaboo thing. And I thought, ah, I thought, so, I thought um, just in my head, I thought, oh, yeah, somebody's, somebody's up there, maybe somebody, uh, uh, an early morning dog walker or a bush walker is um, up there, you know, doing a number one. Or maybe a number two. You know, they've ducked behind the rock and 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 you know I, they were just checking to see that I was there or that you know that they were okay and had some privacy or whatever. And uh, and I thought, oh, it was somebody with a cap or something, somebody with a baseball cap, just just you know ducking their head out and then ducked ducked a look and went, oh no, I've been seen, and then ducked ducked it away again. I thought nothing of it. I thought, oh yeah, it might be something. I'm up here, so maybe someone else was just up here walking around. And I put the phone down and I didn't really transfer that footage. It was a while before I transferred that footage off my phone onto my computer. Now, as a photographer, I've spent quite a few years in you know, various Photoshop programs. And so I know how to play around with images and how to analyse images and do all that sort of stuff. And eventually, um, it wasn't until I finally left living in the, in the Blue Mountains and moved to another state, probably another year, um, a year or two later, uh, probably wasn't until around 2019 uh, maybe a year later um, but it felt like nearly 2 years before i actually looked at that footage on my computer and i was going through all this this footage and my old film footage and i thought oh yeah i'll have a look at that film and as i looked at the film it, on my on my bigger monitor I thought, I'm going to try and zoom in on that and see what it is. It was about 30 feet away, so it was it was quite small in the original film, but I thought, I'm going to um, zoom in on that, and then I'll go frame by frame by frame and just see if I could see the person or see who it was. As I sat there, I, the first frame I got, I went, what the hell is that? Frame one, as soon as the head... Now, I've got forty. 45 frames individual frames off this camera footage from frame one this isn't human I'll just say that straight away from frame one this is not a normal living human being this is not a, this isn't even a shape of anything I can identify as being anything I've ever known of in in nature <laughs> it's A bizarre shape and what happens by frame two frame three frame four as it's ducking in and out is this being whatever it is is actually morphing and changing shapes now i've had a long time as i went through this footage and i went click 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 frame 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 it started to dissolve and and morph into what looked to me at first to be a... Now, what looked to me at first to be like a snake's head, like a giant snake's head in profile at first. This is utterly bizarre. And then it morphed from this, from this sort of... from what looked like a, a snake's head into turning more face-on to me to what looked like... Uh, 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 a lizard, like like something 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 more akin to, uh, like the face of a water dragon or some kind of goanna. It was like like that. And then, the face by frame thirty four or something, the face becomes visibly clear. It dissolves from this lizard's face into what looks like a far more you can see two big black eyes and you can see a mouth, but it's almost like the lizard, the lizard face becomes a slightly more human humanoid lizard type face, which was, which is where you start to see the actual face of this thing. Now that was utterly bizarre. And then finally it morphs into, uh, and this is very subtle by the way. What I'll say is, is that, this thing is camouflaged. This, while this thing is morphing, it's camouflaged. It's like what you're seeing is like it cloaking. Whatever is going on with its with it with its shift is 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 happening as it's cloaked against the bush or scrubby trees behind it. And it's only that I'm zoomed in so close that so I can actually see it changing. But if you if you pulled back, if you looked at it in the original footage. It, it's the mo- it's like an optical illusion where you can actually see it very clearly. You can see this thing that looks like a person ducking in and out behind this rock. But as soon as you zoom right in on it, you see what whatever these shapes are. You actually see that they're not they're not human. They're they're these dissolving and evolving and roiling. Now eventually it ends up to be like this face that's like it's got a large bulbous head now. I had to research this stuff later on, and, and I left it. When I first saw this, I'll tell you, Sarah, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. The minute I saw what this was in the film footage, the hair stood up on the back, and I had to go and have a – I went and had a whiskey. I, I literally just went, I just went. what the hell is this? Like, what the hell is this? And I, I, I had to stop and go and have a whiskey, and because it was like uh, I, this thing was watching me. That's, that's what's hilarious. This thing had been watching me. And what had happened was I realized that the, the, the only reason I'd caught it was because I'd been looking into the bright morning sun. This is when it just first cracks over the horizon when it's brightest. It's directly in line with your eyes. As I turned and the, and the sun was at my back, when this thing was looking at me, it was looking directly into the sun. So it had the brightest, the brightest shot of the sun in its eyes, and I, my eyes were shaded because the sun was over my shoulder and behind me. So I think it got caught. It got caught. It didn't, it, it, it didn't quite track me properly to see which way I was facing, and it got busted um, with the sun shining in its face. It got busted, and uh, and that's how I caught it. That's why it ducked out once and, and then went, oh shit, I, I'm, I'm facing, I'm facing it. And it went, oh, shit, and then duck, ducked away again. But it did a double take. It went, oh, 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 you can see me, and then ducked away again. Now, this thing, I don't know if you remember the movie The Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. What the, the best way I could describe what's on the film is, is what went on with the Predator in that film. That, that ability for the Predator to cloak itself against its environment, to camouflage itself, and to use some kind of ability to cloak it was doing it was doing exactly the same thing it's not not exactly like that in the film but that is the principle that you need to have in your head of what this thing was doing now i, I was thinking about um Things like biblical things, and this isn't a religious thing at all. I'm not. I'm not religious in that way. But I am. I'm. I've studied comparative religion, so I understand the, the different you know, different stories and different beliefs and different cultures. Um, and I always remember uh, one of the stories um, in the Bible, talking about um, one of the um, uh, one of the sort of disciples talking to the burning bush. And I, for years, that's mystified me. The burning bush. i think the hell is going on with a burning bush I mean what what was this guy smoking a burning bush talking something appeared in a burning bush I'm like what the hell is a burning bush well you know what when I saw this thing I immediately went that's like that that would be you would if you tried to describe this thing to somebody you could actually say the way it was you know when you know know when you see you know when you see a fire and above the fire there's that sort of haze there's that roiling White haze above above a flame, and it creates a strange, opaque, shifting quality mm. over what you see through behind it. Yep. you know that thing that that yeah. happens with fire. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that effect, that effect, is the same effect as what was going on with this thing, except it was it was it was blending in with the bushes behind it. But you could see it once you once you saw it, you couldn't unsee it anymore. And as I zoomed in on this in the footage think about that and then sort of apply that to the principle of the predator and that's exactly what this thing was doing except on top of that it was it was it was morphing and changing shape it was shifting shape as it as it darted backwards and forwards behind it and the burning flight the burning bush thing immediately made me think ah oh, yeah that's like a burning bush thing that, that's a burning bush effect that's that kind of effect of what flame does it sort of has this amorphous you know it's this it's in it's this intangible thing now i had to i had to think about what the hell could this be and for a long time i thought it was aliens i thought this is some kind of alien thing this is not, and how am I, I you know i can't tell anyone about this and i've never told anyone about it. you're the, actually the first person oh, i've actually wow. revealed it to uh, apart from my my wife um and and you know one other close family member but i haven't told anyone else about this stuff because it's just too strange it's like you you know and and a lot of this stuff unfortunately is you know unless you've personally had the experience you can't expect other people to just take it on board and and back you up and go oh yeah (laughs) that's yeah sure that's within my field of experience i know exactly what you're talking about people don't people people just don't know until no. it's happened to them. It's no. beyond it's beyond their belief, you know. So you can't expect people to believe you and to back you up or or to give you that validation. And so I just never bothered telling anyone. But but so I immediately assumed oh this is this is some alien technology thing going on. But there's but like how you know there's no way I can tell anyone about this. So I started looking just just in studying a few things would pop out at me. Now one thing that popped out at me there's one particular frame in the photograph. And at some point, I, I can send you some individual frames, Sarah, so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I'd love you to. Um, yeah, because you've, you you need to see it to understand it. Uh, uh, the film footage is another thing. If I showed you the, the actual moving film footage, you'd go, whoa. And then in the context of all the individual frames broken down, up to 43 individual frames, you'd go, Really go wow.
3: <laughs> well, um, feel free to send it to me. I'd love to see it. Yeah.
4: Well, I well I won't. <laughs> I won't. I, I would. I would show you in person. But I'm not gonna. I, it's not something I want to just send around the world kind of thing. Okay. Um, I haven't even posted it on Facebook or or, um, or YouTube. I'm not one of yeah. these people seeking attention. I'm not. I don't want everyone to go. Hey, look at these great footage. Um, I it's would not never like share. I it, would
3: it, never share anything though. If somebody share yeah, lots of lots of people yeah. share things with us in, in confidentially. And yeah, it's okay. it's very important to us
4: yeah. uh, that that yeah.
3: people can trust us. So we don't share anything yeah. if we don't have permission. Okay,
4: show. well, but, well, maybe we'll may, we'll may un, under some kind of arrangement like that. But yeah, I'm certainly not looking to you know have have the eyes of the world on me or anything like that. Yeah, um, and that's another reason why I never told anyone about it because it's just like it's uh, it was such a personal event um, that it really it shook me. Um, anyway, so. So the, what, what, this is the really interesting thing, Sarah, because I was listening to one of your uh, – before I, before I got to that, one of, the, one of the final sort of shape-shifty images this thing went to, it had a large bulbous head and two big black eyes on it and a slit mouth. And you know what it looked like? I mean, this is so weird. It, this is why initially I thought, is this some kind of alien thing or whatever? It looked like the classic version of a, of a grey alien's head but it wasn't a gray, it wasn't a gray alien. It wasn't a gray alien. It was, it was morphed. It was like, it was the color of the bush, the trees and the scrubby bush behind it. But I captured this one or two frames where you can clearly see it's like got this large head, but, but understand it's, it's morphed initially from looking like a giant snake's head to turning face on towards me to looking like a lizard, like, like, like a, like a, a goanna, and then it changed again into this, this sort of more lizardy humanoid face, and then becomes finally becomes this large head with big black eyes and a slit mouth. And that was when I thought, well, that's like that's like you know the classic version of what an alien looks like. But it's what, gone what, through all these.
3: I was going to yep, say, what, sorry, guy. No, no, I just wanted to. What color was it?
4: Well, it was it it was the color of the bush behind it. It it was exactly the same color. It was all these mottled colours of the bush. It it was exactly like the predator would blend itself against its its environment behind it. It was doing this. And it had gone through all these different permutations. So it, it wasn't it wasn't like a colour like of a person wearing a t-shirt and a thing. It's literally it's like that that thing of the of the flame, the tip of the flame of a fire. That where you can see the clear heat, you mm-hmm. can see the shimmering clear heat. Yep. It's it was it was exactly like that. Like it was this dancing, shimmering heat thing. But you could see, you could pick out it shifting into different shapes. And you could then you could see the faces or these things going on through this this cloaking, shimmering shape thing. But you could kind of see the outline of it. And and if you zoomed in close enough, I was able to start picking out. I, I put different filters. I was using different coloured filters. I was going all blue, all red, all green. I got the best. I got the best results with green, actually, going green and playing playing with the contrast levels and everything, and really got this thing to pop out. But it was it was the same colour as the bush behind it, of all the scrub and everything. I mean, this is this thing's incredible. Now, that final image of the big bulbous head and the black eyes and the slit mouth, I, I was I, I thought that rang, that rang a bell with me. I was like. Because initially I'm going, this is alien. But then I noticed in Aboriginal folklore, in the Northern Territory, there are there are there are uh, paintings, cave paintings, of what the the Northern Territory Indigenous people call the Wanjina, or the Wanjina. Um, and the Wanjina uh, were said to be their rain spirits. But if you look at the pictures of the Wanjina, there's usually there's there's pa- cave paintings of, of about a dozen of them all together. And they're, they're these beings that have these big round heads with big black eyes and slit mouths. Eh? And yeah. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking these guys look exactly like my guy. And it doesn't necessarily now have to be uh, an alien's thing, you know, in the traditional close encounters of the third kind um, context. This could be more earth spirits. This could be spirits of the land. This could be multidimensional, interdimensional spirits of the land. Now, I don't know that much about it, um, and, uh, and I certainly don't know an awful lot about um, the Indigenous um, folklore, but I'm sure if I went out and, and spoke to some Indigenous people, I thought I'm sure they'd have some stories for me about things like that. And uh, because I felt that this was, because it had shifted through these different creatures, these different animals, um, before it sort of revealed some essence of itself being in a, in a kind of a humanoid way, I felt that it was more connected to something to do with, with, uh, with Australia, with our land, um, something to do with our dreaming, uh, the dreaming of the country than it was something from outer space. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt like these, this, is, this, is a, this is a kind of a, dimension, a, a dimensional thing that's to do with here, the, the place itself. And once I saw that, that, those images of, of the Wanjana in the cave paintings, I, that sort of started to click for me more. But nothing clicked for me more than when I heard, uh, and I had, I had written it down. It was a recent interview that you had. I think I've mentioned it to you in the email. It was a recent interview that you'd had with an indigenous guy, and uh, very recent. Um, yeah, that and, was uh, uh, Billy
3: from the Whopper Dam.
4: Yes, yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Now, once he said, once he said a couple of things. He said there were there were two different types of Yowie, and then he was saying there were there were the there were the guys that were not really, uh, they weren't physical, and he said there were. There were different kinds, and he said there were the, there were ones that were uh, that were not physical. He said that they were they, and they were they were tricky. I think he was saying you didn't want to mess with them. But he also said while well, they weren't completely physical, he said they were, but they weren't. And then that made me go right. Mm-hmm. That I can understand. That's starting to make some sense to me. Yeah. But then he said also that they had the ability the the ability to to mimic and to, to have mimicry skills where they can, they can, he was saying that they can basically um, speak any language or that they can repeat back any sound. And then I went, bing, bong. <laughs> I'm thinking, hang on, I'm two for two here. I've got, I've got an event in exactly the same place where I had a, a, a being that was neither here nor there. It was, it was definitely morphing around. It was definitely changing its shape. It was shape-shifting. He spoke about shapeshifters, and I'm going, yep, i got a shapeshifter. Yeah. Yep, I've got something that's definitely dimensional. I've got something that's dimensional. I've got something that's not here, but it's here. Um, and then I've got, oh, in exactly the same place a year later, I've got something in exactly the same place a year later mimicking my cough 10 feet away from me in pitch black <laughs> at 2 in the morning. Mm. Now, here's, here's another funny thing, Sarah. I checked, I checked the, um, the database for, for AYR. I wanted to see if there were any events around Lithgow or anywhere near where this happened. Well, don't you know, one, one event in particular um, happened on the highway. It was a guy who was driving up from Victoria, and he, he said he was just outside Lithgow when he was driving through at night, and he said he had a Yowie amble across the road, across the highway, now, I know exactly where this is because, funnily enough, where I am at that lookout where I used to go, if you look down into the valley below on the right-hand side, that, that stretch of highway is literally right there. You look down, you look straight down onto it. So where this guy had his event is literally, you know, it's a stone's throw. It's, it's hundreds of metres. It's, you know, it's probably about 800 metres um, between there down into the valley floor to where the highway is where he had his yowie handle across the road in front of him. So that made me go, okay, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is, this is in the neighborhood. Okay. We've already got, this guy's already had an event just a stone's throw from where my stuff's happening. Now there's a lot of dams in the valley below, by the way. So there are water sources. I've only just become sort of aware of this. i mainly became aware of the water thing through David Polides talking about things that were going on, events that were happening near granite fields. A lot of disappearances and events were going on with people near granite fields, but particularly where there was near large bodies of water or bodies of water generally, um, which I found really interesting. Now these 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 outcrops, these these this area is called the gardens of Stone National Park. There's these they call them pagodas. Um, they're incredible rock formations that jut out from the escarpments, and they're really quite unique in the way they look, so they, they're called pagodas. Um, and the whole area is called the Gardens of Stone National Park. So it's, it's, it's all granite and sandstone up there. Um, so once I started putting a few things together, then I got an even bigger chill because once I looked at that footage, what gave me the chill, Sarah, was that when I'd looked at the footage and I saw what was going on in that film footage, I got a bigger chill because it made me realise that this was the same thing a year later at two in the morning in the pitch black up at the the lookout. And I went, oh, shit. You know, it was that moment where your blood runs cold where I went, oh, my God. And I didn't even realise. I already had the film footage there showing what was up there but I didn't realize it at the time. So a year later I'd been going up there frequently and this thing had been up there either watching me or was aware of me and I wasn't aware of it, but I had the proof of it being around in in the film footage. It just didn't dawn on me. So that was like, oh man, because now, now I had something physical to go on. Like I, like whatever it was that I, that I heard that was right near me that I could not see. Now I actually had some, some concept of it uh, in my film footage and then the individual frames. So that was that was that. Okay, that's that's those two little cluster, uh, clusters of events, right?
2: Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you.
0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I
2: am. But Noom worked for me.
1: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
4: So I used to go bushwalking in the Lockyer Track as well down, down in the valley. And quite frequently, I would... Uh, be aware this is a dirt track that that is off the main road and it and it snakes along in, into the bushland and goes goes through a couple of farming properties and then you wind up you there's a track that leads you right up to Mount York and it's a it's a very isolated area um, we have you know mobs of kangaroos down there there's frequently mobs of kangaroos there's emus down there as well it's pretty it's pretty amazing Um, nature space down there but it's all very 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 rural and um, and very isolated and I used to frequently go down there with my cattle dogs and I would walk them and I would jog down there as well I used to jog um, fairly late in the evening too and often be coming back through these areas in pitch black to get back to the car in the bush I would have days where I would go down there I would I would do my run it was probably a five or six k run there would be days where it would be really sweet you'd go down there and it would be good vibes and then you'd, then there'd be days where I'd be coming back late evening and I would just feel I'd just feel like something was wrong. Like I'd just feel like uh, the vibes had just um, taken a, a drastic turn for the worse. Um, the country just felt bad. You would just you would you would feel like something was eyes were burning burning your back. There, you would be walking, you'd be kind of turning and looking over your shoulder every once in a while and there would be a large, usually walking back on the Lockyer. Now, this track, by the way, the Lockyer track, it was cut by uh, convicts in the uh, 1800s. It was, it was originally meant to be um, a road, uh, one of the alternative roads coming down uh, coming down from Blackheath into the valley from the Blue Mountains and, and all of the original cut stonework of the convicts cut through there from, from the top of Mount York down is still there. So it's quite a quite a historic place and quite a, quite a an isolated rural place. But yeah, I, I would be walking back sometimes and, and my dogs, like if there were roos in the bush, my dogs, their cattle dogs, their instinct is to want to go and round everyone up. And they would they would be pulling hard at the leads and wanting to go and chase the roos. But oftentimes when I'd be walking back on the luckier track, my dog would just be really jittery and I knew the behavior was completely different and she would be looking over her shoulder and she would stop and turn around and look and coming back in, in the late evenings, this this was a little bit off putting because I'd turn around and there's nothing there, but I kind of knew, uh, I kind of would get a sense that there was like some, somebody's looking, somebody's looking at you and there would be just this sense of all the way back to the car park. It would be like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, Walking back, and you just you just had this feeling that you were always being watched. Um, my wife would go down there certain days and walk as well, and she would she would have a similar feeling where she would just feel totally creeped out, like there was just something wrong going down there. So we always we always knew that there were things going on down there, and and I I know it wasn't ruse, and I never heard anything, and I never saw anything, but I knew I just I, if I can say that I felt. That there was definitely things there. Well, I trust my gut um, implicitly, and I know there were things there. There were there were things. Um, I believe that they were in the in the in the ballpark of Yowie, um, absolutely, one hundred percent. And the Blue Mountains is you know absolutely Yowie country. I, I just know for a fact that down the Lockyer there's there's stuff going on down there, but it wasn't made uh, present to me. They didn't sort of make themselves known to me, but I just know. Um, from the way I would feel when I would go down there, and from other things that I've had happen now um, in the mountains, uh, yeah, there was there was something going on with all that. Um, I actually had stones I had stones landing on my roof when I got home. When it, when it, I my house where it was um, was in the lee of the mountain because um, Lithgow, the town itself, is actually surrounded by hills. There's all the hills that are around it, so you're like in a little cauldron with all the hills looking in, in, in on top of you from around, the, the lookout that I would go to at nighttime where I had these, the, the two earlier events, those mountains looked down onto you, on, onto the houses. And I live kind of on the outskirts of town near, near the more bushy type section. And it, and, and it dawned on me later on that I'd come home from some of my bushwalks I'd had a couple of huge stones. I'd be in the lounge room, and a couple of huge stones would go whack, some huge whack on the roof. And I'd think, the hell is that? And I, th- it, it took me time to think about it. And I, and I half suspected that I was getting rocks, giant rocks thrown at my house on the roof of my house from, from the mountains around. <laughs> um, Probably, by, so I don't think they were I don't think it was humans or kids just randomly chucking rocks like because they, these were quite significantly large rocks that came down on on the tin roof when I'd come home one evening from being up around that lookout. Now I don't know if if they have the capacity to be able to sort of visually follow you or anything like that, but um, but that was another significant thing that made me think, "Oh." That's, you know, stone throwing or rock throwing is, is yaoi behaviour as well. So there, there were all these things that, that were sort of little clusters of, of events where I was trying to put two and two together. So now now here's another significant thing, we'll, and I'll, I'll get you on to the Gary Tweddle situation. Now, uh, I lived at Lura. It was around 20... Uh, well, I can't remember the dates exactly, but essentially when the, when the Gary Tweddle event happened it was about a year and a half, two years after I'd, I'd, I'd moved from Lura down to, down to Lithgow. And you'll have to forgive me because I did write it down. I, I was going to be prepared with the dates um, when I spoke to you, but I didn't write them down. But essentially you can gauge it off when the Gary Tweddle event yeah. happened. Um, I worked it out. It was about two years, a year and a half, two years. Now, I used to go uh, where I lived in Lura was right near the escarpment. I was literally two streets from the escarpment. Um, which is the edge, the very edge of the the main edge of the Blue Mountains Escarpment itself that looks down into into the valley and then there's Mount Solitary out there and uh, it's just literally full-blown wilderness for miles and miles and miles. That's the Blue Mountains National Park proper. That's as thick as it gets. So where I lived was just a couple of streets back from the Escarpment and I was two streets away from the Fairmont Resort. Basically, if you if, I don't know, if you're aware it's a big it's a big sort of golf club come come hotel thing I went out late but this was uh, this was um, uh, autumn um, of that year I think it was I think it was around 2009 actually if I'm guessing at it for I used to go running at night late night because uh, it was really quiet and I liked it and it was a time of year it was just getting into autumn and what would happen is we'd have quite hot days still coming out of February, and at night time we'd get We'd get showers, and what would happen is, when the rain came down, um, it would hit the hot roads, and you'd get all this all this mist um, rising up off the roads. So this, we'd had a night shower, and it'd been really hot during the day, and it'd done exactly that. We had all so basically up to sort of up to your mid waist and above, you could be running through banks of banks of mist in the roads and you couldn't really see 15 feet ahead of you the mountains the mountains were really well known if you were driving up in the mountains during certain times of year you'd have huge fog banks um sometimes of clouds but also sometimes it was um it was it was a a condition of the rain and the heat on the roads and and yeah so i'm out running it was like it was like jack the ripper running in in the the london fog and jack the ripper so i would go out (laughs) for a run it really was and that's the only way to describe it so beautiful area lures are really sort of Quite a quite an upmarket, well-to-do kind of area. So very wide streets, big beautiful pine trees everywhere. It's quite it's quite an elaborate, um, quite a nice um, tourist big tourist destination as well. But where we were was the urban, you know, um, families and all that stuff. So I'd go I'd go for a run. I had a little circuit I do. So I put the headphones on, grab my keys, and, and off I went. And I, you know I don't really worry about anything. I don't sort of fear fear anything at night. Um, I'm not scared of the dark or any of that sort of stuff. Went for my regular jog and I've got the headphones in and, and um, I was completing my jog. I was coming back around. Um, I would wound up past a place called the Everglades in Lura that's got peacocks and all that sort of stuff. You know, they often cry out at night. Um, and this particular night, the, the peacocks weren't crying out. And I was coming back down the big main drag. And in front of me, it was surreal because I'm still running through all this fog and mist and stuff coming, running down the street and padding down the street. And I see these these flashing flashing lights and I could tell them straight away it was emergency vehicle lights off in the distance. And it was right in the way of me getting back to my house. Um, And as I as I got closer and closer and closer, I could see it was a police car. Now, this was about 11 o'clock at night. And I could see a police car parked, literally parked diagonally across the intersection. It was a, a, an intersection of two roads. So they have literally made themselves uh, impassable right in the middle of the road, right in the middle of where I want to go. And this is 11 o'clock at night. Now, seeing, seeing this, let me tell you how unusual this event is for that area. This is a, an absolutely the sleepiest, the most quiet area. Like virtually zero crime, zero any of that stuff you never get anything like that down there and to see a police car down there was like i might as well you know a leprechaun might might as well have been standing in front of me it was that it was that unusual so i ran up on these on the on on this police car with the lights flashing and i I wanted to know what the hell was so i pulled my earplugs out and uh and i run up on these cops, and these cops are looking at me like whoa 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 like you slow down and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. And I, I just pulled up to a stop. Uh, let me tell you, the, the, the first cop, there were two of them, the first cop looked at me and his eyes were as wide as saucers. He saw me coming and it was like they were looking at me like like I was, like, uh, like I was a monster or something. And that was really weird. I thought, what's he, what's he looking like that for? Like I'm telling you, that you could, this guy's eyes, it was like his eyes were dilated like uh-huh. saucepan's. And the other guy behind him, uh, his partner, kind of had this freaked out. They both had this absolutely freaked out look on their faces. They weren't showing it hard, but I, you know, I can, I, you know, I'm a good reader of people. And these guys, in their eyes, they were just like, you know, they, they looked freaked out. And they were stopping me, going, "Whoa, well, 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 you're not going anywhere. Who are you?" And they immediately dressed me down, like, you know, where you know where are you coming from? Where are you going? What are you doing? And i just told them I said hey, i'm just out for a late night jog why are you, why you're running at night i'm like yeah because it's quiet there's no <laughs> what, you know there's no one around you know it's nice and quiet i like to i like the peace and quiet and they're like okay and they're like you know where where, where are you going i'm like i'm going home i live two streets down there and this is this is meanwhile this this is like it's crazy because it's like a scene out of a movie because there's still all this mist and fog everywhere i got these two cops in this absolutely surreal situation parked in the middle of the road um, in this absolutely sleepy, sleepy mountains village where this, you never see this. lights flashing in the night, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it was really weird. And he's given me all the questions. And, and I said, yeah, I just lived down the road down there and I just kept it cool. And they wanted my name and all that sort of stuff. Now, I said, what's going I started asking them the questions. I'm like, okay, I've, I've given you the answers. Now you answer my question. I said, so what's going on? And they said, oh, 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 oh um, we'll, we'll just establish your name first. The guy, his partner who's behind him, flips up the boot of the car and there, and in the back of the car, there's like a, a giant, it was, like, it was as wide as the boot of the car, a, a lot, sort of as wide across and as deep. It was electronic equipment. Now, I'm very familiar for one reason or another. I'm very familiar with military stuff, military equipment. I've not served, but I've had, generations of my family have served in the military and been career military people um so i just i just have a certain knowledge and and awareness of certain things and i knew immediately looking at what was in the boot wasn't police standard issue police gear i went hey what the hell is that what's that doing in your boot it was very odd it was very very odd and i was trying to keep an eye on what this guy was doing but he was he was using that to tap into some details About me, but the equipment itself was not standard. It was really odd. It it looked like military gear, and it looked like it looked like military radio equipment to me. It looked like fairly high tech stuff. Usually, with high tech equipment, even by that time, you know, twenty, you know, two thousand and nine or whatever, the, the 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 sort of the high tech gear gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You know what I mean? As it as it gets more advanced, but this was quite chunky. This was big chunky stuff, which made me believe that. It was cer- certainly more geared to, to sort of um, high, hardcore sort of industrial, um, you yeah, know, made-for-military-type type equipment, certainly not police gear. And it was sort of it was, um, radio. It looked like some full-on military radio equipment. Now, these guys are still looking really bugged out. So I started asking them some questions. I said, what's going on? And, it, and the guy just sort of really tentatively said, oh, 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 um, oh we've we got a prowler. And I'm thinking, a prowler? a prowler like why are you parked parked up like this in the middle of the road with the, with that look in your face like if there's a prowler what you know you'd be doing you'd be doing a bit more than this if there was a prowler uh, rather than just parking in the middle of the road and blocking access so i'm chatting to him going okay a prowler and uh, and i said well you know i said what's what's gone on and he said to me oh, oh you'll read about it in the morning he said you'll read about it in the morning in the papers or you'll hear about it in the morning i'm like oh. Jesus, what's that all about? Car comes up out of nowhere behind us, behind me, um, to turn left into the street that heads down to the Fairmont. And they pull this car over and they say to the people, yeah, you can just go around, the literally just round round the, the corner and right in front of them, they said, yeah, just go over there and park. These people lived in that street probably about five doors down. On the left-hand side, they only had about five driveways to go before they were home. These coppers made them literally park on the corner right right near where they were and said, you can't even get out of your car and walk home. They said, you know, stay in your car, sleep in your car and, and, and lock the doors in your car. And I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty full on for a pep, for a prowler, right? And this went on for a while. It's this conversation with these guys with their eyes bugged out and, and then looking really weird. And then, and then they tried to fob it off later. said, oh, oh, we're just doing a bit of uh, I said, what's with the equipment? I actually asked the guy, I said, what's with the equipment in the back of a, you know, I, I have not seen that before. He said, oh, oh, we're testing. We, we're testing some new, some new, some new gear. We're just testing. It. I'm like, oh, all right. I came back. They, uh, they, they apparently sort of verified my identification. And then after they held me there for about 20 minutes. While all this went on and, uh, and then the guy said, eventually the guy said, uh, that he got, he got some kind of word in, uh, word in his ear and he said, okay, he said, you can, um, he said, you can just walk on home now. Just, just go home really quickly. And he said, uh, and when you get home, lock, lock your doors and windows. And I was like, okay, again, this is, this is in the blue mountains. So this is, this is very dark streets, not a lot of lighting. You know, it's, it's quite, quite bushy. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, so you're sending me, so I'm cool to go down there. But where they were saying, don't anybody go, was the road that leads down to the Fairmont. But my road went, continued straight ahead. But they were like, yeah, okay, you can quickly go home your way, uh, which was Blacksland Road where I was living at the time. And so they said, cool. So I said, okay, I'll see you later. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to hear about this in the morning, right? So I got home. I, I, I didn't even run. I just sort of walked back to the house, bewildered. I was like, "What the hell? Did, what the hell is all this?" And I just trotted back. But <laughs> by then, I'm sort of half expecting. I'm thinking, "Yeah, is the prowler gonna kind of you know, jump out of a tree at me? What, what, what's <laughs> going on with this? What's going on with this prowler?" Uh-huh. Um, I finally, finally made it back to my house, and uh, and I go inside. And, and uh, this was by now, it was about midnight. And I said to my wife, I said, "Oh, I told her the whole story," and she's like, "Whoa!" And we. Closed all the windows. Like she went, she was about to have a shower earlier, and she went screw that and closed the bathroom window <laughs> and closed all the doors. And and we didn't we didn't think anything much past it after that. It was just a really weird event. Not until a couple of years later. Now every time an event would happen in the Blue Mountains, it would always be reported in local news. So I would always be. Anything that happened if a, if, a, if a tourist fell off the cliff or or we had rock climbers up there frequently getting hung up or falling to their deaths, unfortunately, or the SES was, you know, somebody's gone missing in the mountains again. It was just a regular, regular, regular occurrence. But then this Gary Tweddle thing happened. And by that time, we'd moved down to Lithgow by the time this, this Gary Tweddle event happened. Immediately, all of these things in the Gary Tweddle situation now, what happened with Gary Tweddle, um, I mean, I can't, I, you know, we'd be here for ages if I went into all the details, but it's suffice to say he's gone up there for a, for a work party with a bunch of mates. They've, they've, been, on a, they've been on a few drugs. They've, they've um, been drinking a lot. The cab driver that um, picked them up said that uh, the cab driver was interviewed and he said Gary Tweddle was completely out of it. And what had happened, they partied late into the night at the Fairmont Resort and at some point in the middle of the night Gary's run outside and said he's going to go and um, basically he, he'd run outside and the story and I say story because who knows um, was that he'd gone out to ring a ring a guy to do a to a basically do a drug deal he wanted he rang this guy in Sydney he was going to supply him with some coke. And he was going to try and meet up with this guy. This guy was going to drive up from Sydney and meet Gary somewhere in the mountains and, um, and give him this Coke so he could go back to his party with his friends. It was all, all, already very late by the time this had happened. Somehow Gary's gone out into the street, and this is the same streets that I live in, I know intimately. Gary's gone out into the street near Sublime Point, and all of a sudden, um, out of nowhere, he's become disorientated and lost I mean, I mean now these are these are roads with houses on them. These are roads. There's so many things in this story, Sarah. Let me tell you, for someone who lives there and knows the area, there's so many things in this story that do not add up. So he goes out at night and he goes on the street. He's got his phone with him. He's pretty out of it, but there's houses around. Now he got on the phone at one point with his friends. He's on the phone with them and he's down he's down on Subline Sublime Point Road, and there's houses down there. It is pretty dark. There's not a lot of lighting, but there's houses there. And a car drove past and actually saw him. They, they reported this to the cops that they saw him standing in the middle of the road on his phone talking. What had happened is Gary Gary actually had a period of time during that night where he's on the phone to his friends at the Fairmont saying, I'm lost. Help me, I'm lost. Now, they, they, they reckon they were on the phone to him for 15 minutes saying, Gary, don't go anywhere. You know, just stay where you are. You know, and he's freaking out on phone going, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Now, Sarah, there's houses down there. It is dark. It is remote, but there's houses everywhere. Now, if this guy was lost, all he had to do was sit down on the side of the road. If he was really drunk or really out of it, he could just sit down on the side of the road and just, and just wait till he, till he felt better, crashed out on, you know, crashed out on the grass until tomorrow morning, or go and knock on somebody's door. And, and get them to make a phone call for his friends to come and pick him up or call a cab or just say, can you reorientate me and just tell me which direction the Fairmont is? That's all you would have to do. Somehow, somehow this guy has gone from, from all of a sudden being lost in the middle of just a, a regular street in the Blue Mountains to disappearing now, walking off the main road, because this is all near the escarpment, by the way, the cliffs. He's all of a sudden at night... With his phone just walked into the bush now he's just walked into the bush, and apparently he was using his phone light to, to, to guide him to see where he was going. Why would you walk off a, 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 like why would you walk off a, a street, a hardtop street with houses if you were lost, to get even more lost in the bush down a bush track? Why would you do that mm-hmm. so he's walked off into the bush and eventually Eventually, where he's gone off into these bush tracks at Sublime Point, he's been found a couple of weeks later. He's been found at the bottom of, you know, uh, 200 foot, 100 foot, whatever, 150 foot cliff at the bottom of Sub- Sublime Point. He's gone off that thing at night. He's gone off. Why would a guy walk off a cliff at night? Why would he, why would he leave the safety of a road in, in, a, in, a, in a suburban Blue Mountains area to to get lost at night in pitch black without a torch, with only his phone torch, he's just literally walking himself further and further and further into into the remote wilderness, and then eventually walks off a cliff to his death. Okay, very,
3: that's very strange. So that so that happened on the same so that Gary Tweddle night was when the yeah. policemen were there.
4: No, oh, no, so no, it's no. no. Now yeah. this is Now, this is the point I want to make. No, this was, this, the police thing that happened to me was about a year and a half earlier. And this is, this is, this is kind of what I want to, this is what's been bothering me for years. Uh, and I've never told anyone. You're the only person I've ever told this to. In the light of David Politi's 411, now he came out and he did the whole, he walked the whole ground of Gary Tweddle. And, and it felt, and to David, it was important enough for him to fall into his category of, of a 411. And he doesn't pay attention to many things. Like, you know, people, people, you know, people pepper him with stories and he and I'm sure he <laughs> ignores a lot of them. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. 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 And so the, the fact that he paid attention, that there were enough things going on with this event really made me go, okay, yeah, that was, uh, so, okay. So guess what happens next, Sarah? So, so he's, he's, So where he went off... Now, I I made a point of really studying this. Where Gary went off the cliff at the escarpment, it's the thickest, thickest, thickest scrub from the bush track to probably about 30 feet of of the thickest, densest scrub before you get to the edge of the cliff that you could leave it and, and, and fly off it to your death, okay? Now, for Gary to have... To, to even know where to go through it, to even try and get through it, to get through it, to even get off the track to get through it. it in the pitch black, pitch, pitch black, with only, a, with only a phone torch, which was probably, I think it died on him at some point before he even died. I think the phone torch, he ran out of battery because that's why he, he couldn't talk to his friends anymore. It was 15 minutes and then he was off and he was playing around with his phone torch. So it's, it's also, and David went through this on his film He talked to a local who lived down there at Sublime Point, and I was in total agreement. So I was like, look how thick this scrub is. You just know the area. But Why would he walk through it? He would be fighting through that, fighting through it, and going downhill at the same time before he got to the cliff edge, before he went off it. Now, here's the really funny thing too. On top of that, the distance that he was found in the valley below was the kind of distance that nobody would be walking and just falling off. He was, he was some number of feet away from, from the edge of the cliff to the point where it would be a running, a full sprint run to be able to make it that far out to land down below where you landed, away from the cliff. Okay, He wasn't found right against the, base, the, the foot of the cliff down below like someone who just fell. This is somebody who's taking a full sprint charging sprint and literally throwing themselves as hard as they can off a cliff, right? But you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it, Sarah, because it's the thickest, thickest, thickest scrub. And it's pitch black at night where you can't even see where you're going, it, it, the, the two things are completely incongruous. It's completely impossible to be able to do that. Mm. And yet, and yet he's, He's many numbers of feet away from the base of the cliff. Right. So how did he get there like that? How did he get there like that? And how did how did he how was he able to navigate in pitch black through the thickest, densest scrub to get to the edge of the cliff and then take a flying leap off it where there's no room to even do that? So here's the other weird fact: <laughs> uh, a, a, a training, a tra- an SES, it was it was an emergency training helicopter, right? Eventually, Gary's missing for I think it was a week or something. It was, it was about a week. A tra- an SES training helicopter or, an, or one of the Blue Mountains emergency helicopters that was doing a training event just happened, just happened to come across. Uh, it, it was flying near the, near the clifftop escarpment. Oh, the helicopter just happened to look down and just out of the blue just happened to spot Gary's body at the bottom of the cliff. They just, they, just, they just happen to come across his body right. at the edge of the cliff there. There's all kinds of problems for me, being a local, having lived there, having, having bushwalked there. Now, I t- I'll tell you frankly what I think. I'll tell you frankly, this is after years of pondering it and ruminating it and, and with all the other events that have happened to me in the mountains. And I'll tie this into something else. There's more, there's more than just this. So here's my theory. I think that the police on the night that they pulled me up where they were freaked out and they had eyes like saucers, I think they knew, I think they were aware of something being down near the Fairmont and something that had encroached into the suburban streets down near the Fairmont that was certainly a prowler, but I don't think it was a human, a regular, you know, human being, I suspect that something was getting around that was freaking... I I think they'd had a couple of reports to the local police station of something seriously scary, and I think they probably buried those reports. I think they're fully aware of what was going on. I reckon that there was an aggressive... I suspect that there was an aggressive yaoi-type creature. Mm -hmm. There was some kind of creature that was getting around, and I suspect that it was possibly an aggressive yaoi, and I suspect that there's no way that they can inform the local populace. Hey, guys, we've got an aggressive yaoi getting around the streets. Now, I also suspect that the equipment that they had in the back of the vehicle was military equipment. I believe also that it was some form of military tracking equipment and that they may have been at the time Working in concert with other agencies, whether they be military or whatever, it it looked like a cordon search area or a cordon search and destroy area, mm-hmm. because whatever it was that they were trying to stop me from getting to or, or that family even getting five driveways from was serious enough that they'd blocked off the entire street, had had you know eyes like sources freaked out. And they had this big, fat military equipment in the back of their boot. And it was only later that I put two and two together. And here's what I think. I think now here's, here's something that frequently that, that seems to frequently come up with David Politi's 411 missing cases is that a lot of the people who are affected, not all of them, but, but there, is, there is a significant number of people who, are, who have events of disappearance where there's a factor of impairment whether it be a, a, a natural uh, mental impairment. You know, they, they might have a health problem. They might be, might be disabled in some way. But there's usually factors of impairment, which, which would indicate to prey. You know, when, when you've got apex predators around, they usually want to pick off the weak, yep. right? It's a, it's a very common instinct in predators um, is that they won't go after something that's fully fit or someone who's in, in full health and full fitness They'll usually go after people who are impaired in some way or, or, or where their defenses are down. Gary Tweddle was completely impaired, completely impaired. What do you think it would take to, to, to compel a guy to move off a street where he's safe, where he's got houses all around him, where he's got people that he can knock on a door and talk to anytime he wanted to? What do you think could compel a guy to run off into the bush, into the pitch black, pitch black of the bush at night and then get lost deeper and deeper deeper and deeper, but then also be able to fling himself off a cliff 30 feet to land in a valley below? I mean, he's not out there to kill himself. He'd been on the phone to his friends saying, hey, I'm lost, help me. Yeah. I think at some point, this is my theory, my, my theory is, that what happened a year and a half earlier with the police, where where I was pulled up by the cops that night, is the same thing that happened to Gary Tweddle a year and a half later, except in that case because they, those cops said to me, "Oh, you'll hear about it in the morning, you'll read about it tomorrow, right?" I think what happened to Gary Tweddle is that he came, he he bumped into something and in, something in the range of a yowie. And it may have been it may have been an aggressive one, and it may have been the same one that had been threatening the area down by the Fairmont, which which back which basically backs straight into Sublime Point, and into the escarpment of the Blue Mountains proper. And I think the, there's no way the police could say anything about it. There's no way they're ever going to say anything about it. And I and I absolutely attribute certain appearances. I'm not suggesting that Yowies are necessarily to be feared or or that they're all aggressive or anything like that, but I do believe, like human beings, there are good people and there's bad people, and there's people having good days and there's people having bad days. I think the only thing that could send Gary Tweddle off a cliff exactly where that was at that distance is either something that threw him off or compelled him to fly off in fear of his life. But he was in the dark and not knowing where the cliff edge was and not knowing where the hell he was in the dark. But what would compel a guy to leave the safety of a and and suburban housing to move off into the bush deeper and, deeper and deeper and deeper to the cliff edge and then and then fly off it at a great distance where there's no possibility for you to for you to even even I mean you're struggling just to just to pull your way through. There's no there's no way for you to be able to run towards an edge to even throw yourself that distance off. So my theory is something scared him into the bush off the street. He ran into the bush to hide, to get away from whatever it was. And I think eventually it either got him over the edge by its own strength or it freaked him out enough that he just wanted to keep getting away from it until in the pitch dark. He pitched himself off at full pelt. What, whatever he was doing, there's no way he landed down there just walking, ambling along, you know, casually drunk. Yeah. You know? No. Um, the, whole, the whole thing, Sarah, makes absolutely no sense. The official police story, absolutely no sense. <laughs> but, but the only thing, the only thing that would shed any light on what might have happened is what happened to me in the exact same area. A year and a half earlier, with those coppers behaving that way, yeah, yeah. With, with all of the stuff that was going on. The final thing was that ties into that, and this I'll just make this super quick. There was there was another event that happened at Blackheath a couple of years later after that, and it was exactly the same situation. It was a guy who lived on his own. He lived in Blackheath. He lived he lived off one of the little one of the little um, uh, plateaus uh, along the back of the escarpment. Down, down towards Gutter's Leap, and he disappeared. He got off the train one night. And he lived down there on his own, and he was a he was a guy in his fifties, something like that. Um, and he vanished. He completely disappeared. Well, it turned out, Sarah, that he ended up. His body was found at the bottom of a cliff, as yeah, well. Really. Now he's now it was right near his house. Yeah, it was right near his house, and it was exactly the same situation where they just found his body. And there were a whole bunch of strange circumstances going on surrounding uh, his body and what, what, you know, his clothing and the, the state of his clothing. It was almost uh, an identical situation to Gary Twell, except it wasn't at night. He wasn't you know, necessarily impaired. But you've got, another, you've got another dead body ending up at the bottom of a cliff. But this guy was a local and, and it was quite near to his house. And I'd started thinking about that in the same context of what, what had happened to Gary Tuttle because it was completely it was a complete mystery yet again. And there was another case of a of a woman in Medlow Bath where I'd lived and she was she was the other she was the other case that um David Pileith's covered um, in the four one one. and she disappeared, she went bushwalking, she was an avid bushwalker and she she vanished. She could hear voices and she was yelling out and stuff, but no one could see her. It was like she'd disappeared.
0: It was right. like she wasn't
4: there. Oh, yeah, it was a strange. It was like she'd, she'd entered a portal and no one could see her and she could hear everyone else, but they couldn't, they couldn't hear her and she, she couldn't see them. It was all this sort of stuff. That's so there's, very strange. There's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very strange stuff.
3: Thanks so much for sharing all that. That's, that's absolutely
4: fascinating. I'll send you a couple of the still, still pictures, Sarah.
3: That'd be great. Um,
4: yep, yeah, so you can get a clue on it.
3: Thank you, Simon. I, I really appreciate it, for, and for sharing all your fascinating stories.
4: My pleasure. Look, I don't know what you think about any of it, you know, but uh, I am a hundred percent genuine um, in everything that I've said, and um, I can tell that. And in your I believe, and I, and I'm, and I'm also firm in my belief too. Yeah. So uh, I don't care what anyone says.
3: A lot of people tell us very strange things. People don't always just relate their yaoi sightings with us we get lots of yeah. strange cryptid things that we don't necessarily put up on the website because it's not Yowie yeah. related but it's other cryptid related yeah. so i spoke to yeah. someone yesterday who who saw a very strange like nine foot tall hairless very skinny being that had a wow. head like sort of sort of in the shape of a cat Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I, and I don't have any reason to doubt him either.
4: Well, this thing, Sarah, by the way, the one thing I forgot to tell you was the thing that was ducking out behind the rock, right. When I, when I, when I went back and measured the height of where the head was ducking in and out of the rock, I've got to say it was about eight feet high.
3: Ah, right. Interesting. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I remember that guy that you'd interviewed, Billy, he was saying that there are tall ones and short ones and, and, and mm. this would have been where the head was. It makes it a tall one, whatever, it makes it one whatever t- that's worth. Yeah,
3: well, we yep. did and we had for, someone else report to us seeing an eight-foot, eight foot, eight foot nine-foot-tall yaoi cross the road right in front of them, walk yep. behind a tree and then yep. the yowie didn't, nothing came out from behind that tree. The yowie didn't. One person mm. saw, each each of the three people who were there saw something different come out on the other side of the tree.
4: Oh, I saw. I remember that one. Yeah, in yes. in,
3: in, in, Dal- in in Dalga, in Dalba, something like that,
4: uh, yep. New South Wales.
3: I think I'll well, have to double check. That,
4: but... that also, Sarah, was one of the ones that, that clued me to to the shape shifting of the thing I had. Yeah, that was when I went. That was that was exactly when I went. Oh yeah, yeah. somebody else has got the shape shifting thing right, um, because my, my 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 creature, whatever it was, went through about three different phases, as well. Um, so that was yeah that was that was another one that really made me go validation time yeah it's not it's not just me so uh, anyway.
3: no no and I've got and another uh, another person I know from around here shared with me an experience that he saw two how would I describe them like two blobs that were sort of transparent but sort of not which brings to mind that that um, flame uh, shimmery yes. heat yeah. Uh, Situation you were describing, he saw yeah. two blobs of that traveling along the ground, uh, like maybe the size of a of a fox or a cat or something like that. But two of wow. them traveling along the ground, he didn't know, he didn't have a clue what they were. I can't remember if he said they cast a shadow or not. I'd have to double check that. But uh, yeah, there's lots of there's lots of weird stuff going on out there. That's sure not just is. yowie related. Yeah, or yeah. maybe it is all yeah. yowie related, and and. There's more mystery to it than we realise. I, I I don't have the answers, yeah. unfortunately.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well I, I think I think somehow it's all connected, one way or the other. Yeah. It's uh it's on it's on a it's on a, a spectrum that we, we don't easily perceive. Yeah. Put it that way.
3: That was Simon from the Blue Mountains. As we were talking about a real person who died under awful circumstances, I'd just like to add, I'd just like to say, rest in peace, Gary Twiddle. So what did you think of that, folks? Do you think the shape-shifting being was an interdimensional spirit of the land or was it an alien? Let me know what you think. Simon did send me three stills of the shapeshifter footage and I can definitely see what he describes. I'll post them to the Yowie Central Facebook page after the show. Remember, if you've had a sighting, whether it be of a Yowie, a Junjadi other cryptid creatures or something in the paranormal realm, UFOs, alien abductions, anything like that, I would love to talk to you. And the Yowie Central listeners would love to hear your story. Get in touch with me via Central at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group. Well, my friends, that's all for today. Yowie Central will be back next Wednesday. I'll catch you then.
0: In the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. Your diamond ring Your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime When you're sucking the blood right out of your spine Hear cry